Um, let's turn to Romans chapter 13. We are in Romans chapter 13. And we covered the first half of the chapter last week. And we're going to pick it up at Romans chapter 13, verse 8. Romans 13, verse 8. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Do this knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Okay, so in, in, um, remember he is not speaking directly, he's speaking directly to us, but when he's writing this, he's speaking to a culture that's living in Rome. And I read you a few portions last week from, from, uh, uh, Will Durant's, uh, um, chapter, his volume three of the history of civilization, where, where he's talking about the Roman Empire. And what I want to do is I want to give you an idea of what Rome had really devolved into. Now, Jesus was born under the period of, of Caesar Augustus, whose real name was Octavian. Actually, Augustus was not his, his proper name. It was a title that was given to him by the Roman Senate. Uh, and he was, so he was born under the rule of, of Octavian, who was actually, uh, uh, many writers say that he was very weak in frame. Uh, disab- some even characterize him as, as, as uh, uh, partially disabled. But uh, um, he ended up, uh, so, he, so Jesus was born right about 5 to 7 B.C., and you say, I thought Jesus was born right... On. No, Jesus was born 5 to 7 B.C. Historians have really mapped this out quite well. And he, he died at about 33 A.D., which would have placed him around 38 or 39 years old when he ultimately died. And uh, um, what you see is that, is that he's, he, Octavian lived until about 14 A.D., so during the childhood of Jesus, Octavian was bringing about, Caesar Augustus was bringing about many new reforms to Rome. And he was really trying to reform Rome. But let me just share with you some of the things under Octavian's rule, the things that were happening. Uh, so you get a sense of what Rome was like uh, uh, and, and the culture that he's writing about. It says, the lusty peninsula was worn out with 20 years of civil war. Its farms had been neglected, its towns had been sacked or besieged. Much of its wealth had been stolen or destroyed. Administration and protection had broken down. Robbers made every street unsafe at night. Highwaymen roamed the roads, kidnapped travelers, and sold them into slavery. Trade diminished, investment stood still, interest rates soared, property values fell. Morals, which had been loosened by riches and luxury, 
had not been improved by destitution and chaos. For few conditions are more demoralizing than poverty that comes after wealth. Rome was full of men who had lost their economic footing and then their moral stability, and soldiers who had tasted adventure and had learned to kill, and citizens who had seen their savings consumed in the taxes and inflation of war and waited vacuously for some returning tide to lift them back to affluence. Women, dizzy with freedom, multiplying divorces, abortions, and adulteries. Childlessness was spreading as the ideal of a declining vitality, and a shallow sophistication prided itself upon its pessimism and cynicism. This was not the full picture of Rome, but a dangerous disease burning in its blood. On the sea, piracy had returned, rejoicing in the suicide of states. Cities and provinces licked their wounds after successive exactions of Sulla, Lucullus, Pompey, Gabinius, Caesar, Brutus, Cassius, Antony, and Octavian. Um, and so let, let me read you, you know, there was at one point before Caesar Augustus, Octavian had taken full charge, there had been three rulers that were deemed by the Senate, the Roman Senate, to, to really run the place. And each of them needed money. And the way that they would get money, they would go to cities and they would exact the money. So you had not just one ruler, but you had three. So, there Brutus and Cassius, so, so part of the three, the two of the three were Brutus and Cassius, had amassed the last Republican army, financed by exactions beyond even Roman precedent. From the eastern cities of the empire, they demanded and received ten years' taxes in advance. When the Rhodians proved reluctant, Cassius stormed the city port, ordered all city citizens to surrender wealth, killed those who were hesitant, and carried away the equivalent of $10 million. In Sicilia, in, in Sicilia, he quartered his soldiers in the homes of Tarsus till it paid him $9 million to leave. To raise the sum, the citizens auctioned off all municipal lands, melted down all temple vessels and ornaments, and sold free persons into slavery, first boys and girls, then men, then women and old men, finally youths. Many, on learning that they had been sold, killed themselves. In Judea, Cassius levied $4.2 million and sold the inhabitants of four towns into slavery. Brutus, too, could raise money by force. When the citizens of Lycian Xanthus refused his demand, he besieged them until, starving but obdurate, they committed suicide in mass. Okay, so this gives you a picture of their, of what was going on just pro, just during uh, uh, the time when Jesus was born. Now, this is being written 50 years later, uh, uh, or 60 years later, but you see what Rome had come out of. So that gives you a taste of this. Because often we relate this to what our own culture is like. But you see what they were coming out of. And he says in verse 8, Oh, nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. You say, well, then I don't have to pay tax. Well, if you look back up in verse 7, it says, Render to all what is due them, tax to whom tax is due, custom to whom custom, fear to fear, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. 
Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. So when I teach, when I give a teaching where I want people to really get hold of a concept, I will never try to give you ten different things that you should live by. Never. I might give you ten different things over a period of a year. I will never give you a list of ten things on a Sunday to live by. I will generally give you one thing. Do this. Try to do this this week. Try to do this in your life. One thing. Just one thing. Because if you give people a list of ten things, it's really hard for them to do any one of them because they feel overwhelmed. It's like, whoa, (laughs) I don't even know where to start. So Paul encompasses the Ten Commandments. So, so, so you have Ten Commandments. Half of those relate to man's, human beings' interaction with other human beings. Half of them are, are, are my interaction with God. The other half is how I relate to other people. He says, in this, I want you to just remember one thing. He says, you're to love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, and, and he says, oh, oh, no one anything. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Actually, it's he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled law. The the uh, um, the definite article uh, T H E the is not there. You see, that's why it's in in italics if you have a study Bible. So, uh, but this is this is the natural law that he's talking about. You will fulfill this if you just love your neighbor. He says, for this you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. There's actually one more in the list. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. That's actually written. If you have a King James Bible, that's there. And and uh, so you can see that probably there were other manuscripts that were found that are leaning toward toward this translation. But in any case, he's, he's naming all of them. He says, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. Now, how many times have you gone to church and the pastor stands up and he says, today... We're going to cover, you shall not murder. I mean, usually that's not going to apply to, to, to most people today in our culture. But in that culture, they had so many Roman soldiers that were now unemployed, and they had learned to kill, and they had learned to, to do it quite well, and their killing was not from far away. It was actually from very close. With, with, with swords, and so they were within a couple of feet of people when they would kill them. Uh, let me read you something else that had happened just prior to the, the birth of Jesus. It says, The assembly ratified the tri- triumvate uh, and gave it full power for five years to pay their troops, replenish their coffers, and revenge Caesar. The three men now let loose the bloodiest reign of terror in Roman history. They listed 300 senators and 2,000 businessmen for execution and offered 2,500 drachmas or $15,000 to any freeman and $10,000 to any slave who would bring in the head of a person proscribed. So they had a list of 2,500 people. He says, bring in their head and you're going to get paid. To have money became a capital crime. Children to whom fortunes had been left were condemned and killed. Widows were short of their legacies. 1,400 rich women were required to turn over a large share of their property, the triumvirs. At, la- at last, even the savings and deposited de- that had been deposited with the Vestal Virgins were seized. Atticus spared, was spared because he had helped Antony's wife, uh, Fulvia, while acknowledging the courtesy, he sent great sums to Brutus and Cassius. 
The triumvirs set their soldiers to guard all exits from the city. So you think, well, we'll just leave the city. There was no way out. They proscribed, they proscribed hidden wells, sewers, attics, chimneys. Some died resisting, some submitted quietly to their slayers, some starved, some hanged or drowned themselves. Some leapt from, from a roof or into a fire. Some were killed by mistake. Some, not proscribed, committed suicide on the bodies of the slain. And it just gets worse. So when he says you shall not murder, he's instructing the people who had been through such devastation. But there's other things in this list that actually apply to us quite well. He says you shall not commit adultery. Now, I have, I have seen men and I have seen women in the church who have fallen into adultery. And it brings absolute devastation into their lives, devastation into their marriages, devastation into their relationships, and it affects greatly their children. You think, well, you, you know, my children don't know about it. We don't get away with anything. We really don't get away with anything. And, and, you know, the, the Bible, the Bible talks about this, that, that we are, we are to, to do these sorts of things and, and observe these things. Uh, the Bible talks about for conscience sake, that we are to obey these things. And so so if you look in verse 5 of the same chapter, Romans 13, Therefore it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. When we as believers do something that is wrong, the Spirit beckons us to repentance. And until this happens, and even sometimes even following it because of the devastation it brings in their lives, it will wake you up at night. You won't sleep well. You sleep for maybe two hours and you you sit bolt up at night. Um, we as believers are under greater obligation than unbelievers because of the work of the Holy Spirit that has happened in our lives. Paul instructs them very specifically. He says, you, you shall not commit adultery. I don't know anyone who has ever woken up in the morning and said, well, I think I'll commit adultery today. That doesn't happen. It doesn't happen like that. Something happens in our heart, and and it, and it gets gets a hold of our heart. So, for example, in in uh, um, in verse thirteen, it says, "Let's let us behave." Of, of chapter thirteen of Romans, verse thirteen, "Let us behave properly, as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy." But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. You make no provision for the flesh. That means the, one of the ways you can really stay free of sexual, uh, 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 falling in, into sexual sin is you stay free of situations where you can fall into that situation. So often I will encourage young people, don't meet together in an apartment alone with someone of the opposite sex to study. You can study at Starbucks, you can study you can study other places, there are other places to do that. You can sit, sit in the student center, you can sit in the library together, and you can study all you want. But when things can happen, and that's why it says it says don't even give no provision for the flesh in verse 14. Don't give the flesh a provision to do this. And, and uh, we avoid these sorts of situations. Sometimes you have to be on business travel. You'll be on business travel with someone of the opposite sex. Be careful that you don't go to their room. Just don't go to their room. 
Now, I have gone into the rooms of other men when I'm on business travel and we'll work on a manuscript on a paper together. I would never do that with a woman. We would sit in, in, in say, the hotel lobby and we'll work on a manuscript together or something, but I won't be alone in the room. You don't give provision to the flesh. I want you young people to hear me because I have seen the devastation that occurs in marriages, Christian marriages, when adultery takes place. It is utterly devastating. And nobody went into marriage setting out to do this. Nobody went into marriage. And the things that I tell you for protecting your marriage will do you very well before marriage also. And and uh, um, so when it says do not commit adultery, we are to be really careful. We are to be really careful what happens. And, and uh, you say, well, why are you harping on this? Because this is like the thing that messes up most young people that I see. Yeah, this is the biggest thing. This is like the biggest area. Just like he had to harp on don't murder. He's speaking to a bunch of guys in the Roman church there that, you know, would murder people for lunch. I mean, these were Roman soldiers that would just devastate whole communities. So to them, to take the life of a human being was a very small thing. They had done this for years. Our conditioning, because of our culture, makes this thing sort of not so bad. And the Bible warns us, it, it tells us something very differently. The Bible instructs us on things very differently. I want to turn to Proverbs chapter 7, which is a beautiful chapter to think about. Proverbs chapter 7. And I want you to see yourself in this chapter. Proverbs chapter 7. I want you to see yourself in this. And, and just ask yourself, have I ever done this? Have I, have I ever done this? So Proverbs chapter 7. Reading from verse 1. My son, keep my words and treasure my commandments within you. Keep my commandments and live, and my teaching is the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers, write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call understanding your intimate friend. Look what he's saying. He says, this is a father. He he says, my son, keep my words. This is a father instructing his son. Solomon talks about how I learned things from my father. You see, this is not somebody pounding on you. This is somebody saying, just putting their hands on your cheeks and saying, listen to me. I got something for you that's really, really important here. Because if you don't get hold of this, this is going to lead to your destruction if you don't get hold of this. And he says, I want you, I, I, I want you to keep this commandment and live. If you keep this commandment, you will live. If you keep this commandment, it will protect your marriage. If you keep this commandment, it will protect your marriage because you won't fall into bed with somebody before marriage where you've now loosened the standards of marriage and thinking, well, it's not going to matter anyway because we're just getting married anyway. No, it matters because when you lower moral standards before marriage, they're more easily sacrificed when you're in marriage. This is why I implore you, the scriptures implore you. He says, keep this commandment and live. And my teaching is the apple of your eye. Just let this be right at the forefront of of who you are and what you do. He says, bind it on your fingers and write it on the tablet of your heart. How else, I ask you, how else would you really get a point across to somebody? Could you, could you implore somebody more deeply than we are being implored right here? 
This is the max. This is as good as it gets. He tells us, pay attention. He says, I'm saying this because I love you. Then he says in verse 5, that they may keep you from the adulteress. And the, and actually, we, it's translated adulteress, but if you look at the literal, it's the strange woman. To keep you from the strange woman, from the foreigner who flatters with her words. So it's not merely a woman who is married to some other man. In this context, it is. But it is any other woman. And woman, you can apply this to the strange man. Because a lot of times it is the man that is the aggressor in the sexual relationship. Although... It's very common for the woman to be the aggressor in, in the relationship. And so, so um, uh, that they may keep you from the adulteress, from the foreigner who flatters with her words. The foreigner who flatters with her words. Let me tell you something. If there's a guy and a woman flatters him, this guy is like, whoa. I mean, it, it's like she's got him. Just one thing. If, if Women, if you say to a guy, you're funny. I mean... That guy will be thinking about that comment for a week. I mean, it, it, this is this is the way people are, and this is the way guys are. You you just say one thing. Wow, you you got big muscles. I mean, for the rest of his life, he will never forget that comment. Never. You make comments like that because when you flatter a guy, it's like, wow, she thinks I'm really something. She must be really smart. You know, look, if she knew what you were really like, she wouldn't be saying this, alright? She only says this because she doesn't know what you're really like. And you know that's true. He says, for at the house, for at the window of my house, I looked out through my lattice, in verse 6, and I saw among the naive, and I discerned among the youths a young man lacking sense. So what we're gonna read here is a story about a young man who lacks sense. Passing through the <clears throat> through the street near her corner, he takes the way to her house. Mistake number one: <clears throat> he was passing through the street near uh, uh, near her corner. I don't know if you've ever done this, but but um, uh, I have to confess I've done this. Where where I was praying about. You know, a young lady, and you know, I didn't know if I would see her. But what I did is, I lived on one end of campus, and I was just seeing, Lord, you know, if, if I see her, then that this will be a sign. I don't know if you've ever done this. And I went all the way to the other side of campus to a dormitory where I had never eaten before, which was a girls' dormitory in which she lived, and I had lunch there because you could eat in any dorm you want. And I just happened to see her there. This is the young man lacking sense. You know, when I'm praying, Lord, if I happen to see her, you know, this would be a sign. You know, I went right to the door of her house, practically. I went, certainly went to her corner. And you see how deceptive our minds can be? This is exactly, this is me. This is me, right there. Passing through her corner, he takes the way to her house. In the twilight, in the evening in the middle of the night, and in the darkness. So here you've got a woman who's out in the darkness. So already there is some woman here that's in the darkness, and you wonder, this is, already where she's going is not the best place. 
Would you want to be married to a woman that hangs out on the streets at night? Is that a good model for your children? Think about that. Would you want to be married to a guy that hangs out in bars at night? You know, I tell you, you hang out in bars. Men, you hang out in bars, you're going to get a barmaid. Women, you hang out in bars, you're going to get a man who likes hanging out in bars at night. And then after marriage, when marriage becomes a little less exciting, he's going to go back to the bar. You know, you meet people in certain places. That's why I say you meet people in church, it is a great place to meet. It is a great place to meet. Because you have a commonality of purpose. Verse 10, And behold, a woman comes to meet him. Oh, surprise! He was right in front of her house. <laughs> Dressed as a harlot and cunning of heart, she is boisterous and rebellious. Her feet do not remain as home at home. Hey, men, pay attention to how women dress and think about, is that how you would like the mother of your daughter's dressing? Is that how you would like them dressing? Think about that. Think about that. You know, because what interests you now is going to be different than what interests you later. Is that how you would want your daughters to be dressing? Her feet do not remain at home. She is now in the streets, now in the squares, and lurks on every corner. She seizes him and kisses him with a brazen face. She says to him, I was due to offer peace offerings. Today I have paid my vows. She's a Christian. It must be okay. She's a Christian. I mean, she goes to church. She even went to church that day. But women, I'll tell you, you give a guy a kiss, for the rest of his life he will remember that. With brazen face, she did this. She says, I've paid my vows. I'm good. You know, what you can do is you can pray with somebody. You can pray with somebody and listen to their prayer, and you can know very quickly what their Christian life is like by the way they pray. If all they know how to pray is, Lord, thank you for this food, amen. You don't want to be with that person. Listen to their prayer, and you will discern what it means to be a believer versus what it means to just, I made my vows today. Then she says in verse 15, Therefore I have come out to meet you, to seek your presence earnestly, and I have found you. You know, guys, think about that. If a, if a woman said, I came to meet you, I, I just wanted to be with you, I just need somebody to talk to. And you're, you're, you're a really good listener. Women, no guy is just a good listener. You're talking to him and he's undressing you in his mind. I'm just telling you. Every guy here is just like me. And I know this. He's talking to you and, and, uh, she's, you're talking to him and you think he's just such a good listener because he's just like, his mind's not what you're talking about. It's not there. It's not on what you're talking about. It's on something very, very different. Men are like this. They really are. And guys, if you say you're not, you're lying to yourself. You're lying. You're a liar. Um, 
Verse 16, I have spread my couch with coverings with colored linens of Egypt. I have sprinkled my bed with myrrh and aloes and cinnamon. You know, if a woman starts speaking about her bed, you got a problem. You got a problem. You say, that doesn't really happen. You know, I once went to a woman's house to pick up my daughter. She was just three years old, maybe, at the time, my oldest daughter. And uh, my wife was home with the younger one. And I was, I went, and, and she, this was this woman in the church, and she was, and, and she had kids, and, and I went to pick up my daughter, and this is before I learned to be super, super careful where we leave our children. Super careful. And anyway, I went to this woman's house, and I, and, and uh, she lived in this cul-de-sac. I said, this is a nice house. And anyway, she said, the kids are in the back. And uh, she said, oh, you like that house? Let me show you. And she took me to her bedroom, and her bed wasn't even made. Now, a woman does not show her bedroom with her bed unmade. She just doesn't. Not the type of woman you want to be around. And I turned and I bolted out of that place. I grabbed my daughter and I never came back. Because I sensed that woman was different. And about a year or two later, that woman left her husband for another man. I'm telling you, if a woman starts mentioning her bed, you got a problem. Then she says, for my husband is not at home, he's gone on a long journey. You won't get caught. My husband's not even here. This happens to a lot of Christian men on business trips. Nobody's going to know. I'm in a foreign country. Nobody's going to know. God sees everything, and you think you're doing it in secret, and it's going to be shouted from the rooftop. And this woman is going to end up calling you in your home for money. She's going to call you on her, your cell phone. And she's going to intentionally have your wife start questioning this. And she's going to, she's just going to milk you for money. You think you're going to get away with this? You'll never get away with it. This is serious stuff. That's why he says, do not commit adultery. Why would the scripture waste the words? It's not wasted. We need this. He's taken a bag of money with him. At the full moon, he will come home. With her many persuasions, she entices him. With her flattering lips, she seduces him. Suddenly, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as one in fetters to the discipline of a fool until an arrow pierces through his liver. As a bird hastens to the snare, so he does not know it will cost him his life. It'll cost you your very life. It'll cost you your life. You think you're going to get away with this thing because you're in a foreign country, you're in a foreign place, and you know this woman and she would never talk. and Or you know this man and he will never say anything. It will destroy your life. It will destroy your marriage. And you'll, come, you'll be sitting up bolt at night and just unable to sleep. And it's going to destroy things around you. And you say, well, you know, I could get away with this. She's not a married woman anyway. Doesn't matter. You're married. Or... We're both not married, so it's okay. It's not okay. It's not okay. And you know it's not okay, so you don't even need me to tell you that. And if you're justifying it in your mind that it's okay, you're lying to yourself and you know it. Verse 24. Now therefore, my sons, listen to me. So now he's just coming back and he's embracing you. Now therefore, my sons, listen to me and pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let her heart turn do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her path. You see, before you stray into her path, it's your heart. Verse 25, do not let your heart turn aside to 
her ways. Don't let your heart even go there. When you start thinking about somebody who is not your spouse, pray to God, fall on your knees and say, Lord, give me a right heart toward that person. And let me remember what is right, Lord. It starts happening in the heart. That's what I'm talking about. People don't wake up and say, I'm going to commit adultery today. It's already been happening in their heart. It starts with their heart long before you ever stray into their path. Verse 26, For many are the victims that she has cast down, and numerous are all her slain. Boy, I have seen it. I have seen it in the church. I've seen it with brothers that I love. I've seen it with sisters that I love. I've seen it with destruction. I have a daughter who is married, and I pray to God that she never falls into adultery, that her husband never falls into adultery. I pray to God for them. I pray for my own marriage. Over and over again, I pray for my marriage. Lord, protect my marriage. Lord, protect my marriage. If you think, oh, well, you got it made. No, my heart is desperately sick and evil. Desperately sick. Who can understand it? And I have to pray for my marriage. Lord, protect my heart. If a woman wants counseling, I don't counsel with them alone. My wife is there. I don't even counsel them by email without copying my wife. I just don't do it. You got a problem with that? That, That's that's the way it's going to be. If some undergrad comes into my office and starts crying about organic chemistry, if that's a female, that door stays open to my office. You're going to cry in public. I'm not shutting this door. I want to protect my marriage. The Bible says, be free from even the appearance of evil. I don't want to be having my door shut for an hour and just walking out all giggles, coming out with some young undergrad. Even the appearance of evil we have to be careful for. Verse 27, for a house is the way of sh- way to Sheol, that's hell, descending to the chambers of death. I mean, could we have a stronger warning Could we have a stronger warning? So when he tells us back in Romans chapter 13, he says, look, this is going to start with loving your neighbor. If you've got too much to think about, you just love your neighbor. If love, remember, love is if this word, if this thought, if this action is not in the other's best interest, it is not love according to God's ways. Every thought, every word, every action has to be in the other's best interest. This is the love of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your word. And I thank you so much for the precious young lives that are here. Oh Lord, keep them, keep them from destruction, I pray. Keep them from destroying relationships, destroying families, destroying homes. Protect their lives, I pray. Lord, I pray that they take hold of your word and they remember this. They remember this admonition. Do not commit adultery. They remember this admonition in Proverbs chapter 7. Father, let it be burned upon their hearts, lest they get an arrow just shot right through their liver. Father, protect them, I pray. Protect their marriages, their homes, and their children. Oh God, protect them, I pray. The Lord Jesus Christ be with them, I pray. The Lord Jesus be with them. Lord, watch over them. And Father, I pray your grace. And Father, for the unbelievers that are here, I pray, Lord, that you draw them to Jesus, that they can take hold of your word. And Father, even as the word of God implores us with such mercy, saying, my son, listen to me. 
Father, with no judgment upon others. I don't judge anybody for what they've done. I can look at my own life. And I just say, Lord, your protection be upon them. Your protection and your blessing. In the name of Jesus. Amen.